0: Welcome to the Sermon Scraps Podcast. I'm Josh Taylor. After I preach, I get a lot of hard questions from people who want to know more about the Bible. That is why the Sermon Scraps Podcast exists. Each week, I try to respond to those questions from God's Word. All right, family. This week on Sermon Scraps, I have been asked several weeks now. It's been busy. It's Easter season. If you're a pastor in a church like mine, then you know how hectic this time of the year is, and so I haven't had the opportunity to really sit down and flesh out um, like a new Sermon Scraps. That's not to me that I don't get questions, it's just that I haven't had the time, but either way, uh, I think one of the last Sermon Scraps episodes that I did was Adventures in Missing the Point with Joel and Victoria Osteen. And this time, I was asked, like, right on the backs of that, because I had made kind of an off-the-cuff remark about um, Joel uh, Osteen and um, Stephen Furtick. And, f- of course, there's Furtick fans out there. And it was. Uh, I immediately got the question, like, so what's the problem with Furtick? And I want to, like, before I give you an example, I want to say up front – There was quite some time in my discipleship or spiritual formation where I was a pretty big uh, Furtick fan. I mean, not following him uh, immensely close, but would uh, to to give you some example, I, I I had the privilege of being a part of an evangelist network with Clayton King. And some people may know him. I think he's. I think currently he's one of the teaching pastors at New Spring, um, in Anderson, South Carolina. And but his big thing is he he travels and does evangelism. And uh, I was interested in that at one time. And so there was a group of about twelve guys meeting in Clayton's home once a month uh, for about a year and discussing evangelism and that ministry. And. Um, one of the things he did, he actually sat us in front of, at the time, New Springs pastor was Perry Noble before the, in, you know, all the incident uh, kind of blew up in front of him. And then, uh, he also sat us in front of Furtick and just, the, we got to spend more time with, uh, Perry, but we got to meet, uh, Furtick and he was, uh, really nice. Um, I mean, we, I don't want to make it sound like I say, meet him. Like we got to sit there and pour out our souls, you know? Um, but I, but my point was there was a time in my life where, um, you know, I would consider that a great honor. And, and even then to, to, to speak with him today would be the same. But my point being like, we had books signed by him and things like that. And, um, I can understand, I am sympathetic with the allure of Stephen Furtick. That's what I'm, I want to hear. I want you to hear At the same time, like what I'm, what I would say is, hopefully, that would have been in 2010, 2011. So it's now been, you know, fast forward 10, 11, 12 years since I uh, that time in my life. Is I've, I've hopefully matured as a person, a Christian, a believer, a pastor. To be able to make some of some more sharper distinctions with how people have handled God's word, and and so this is important to note. I would I would say that the things that I'm about to accuse Furtick of, I could easily see. I'm sure that if I dug back in my you know sermon archive, I would find myself making the same applicational errors. Um, so. At the same time, I think you say, so why pick on Furtick, right? And, it, and it's twofold. Number one, like I'm saying, I, I'm I'm nowhere in the league of Stephen Furtick. I mean, he really is got to be one of the, the greatest or greater communicators, uh, period. Like he is a fascinating person to watch. Um, at the same time, my point is I'm saying I recognize there's a lot more to preaching than just Communication uh, hermeneutics uh, is equally as important as homiletics, and um, I would hope, just like I believe I am maturing rightly, you know, becoming more discerning, that you would hope the same for same thing for someone like Furtick. And either one of two things I think has happened along the way with Furtick is either one. He himself has been deceived and continues to deceive people um, because there's certain theological errors. The one that concerns me the most is um, his relationship with TD Jakes. I mean, Jakes denies the Trinity. People have talked about how he's you know backpedaled on that and and come to a more um, orthodox view. I still don't see that. Um, in, in a way, I feel like given Furtick's upbringing and education, he ought to know better about that theological position. Uh, we can't stand with that. And I think his relationship with Jake's shows that uh, it gives off the impression it's just a minor difference. It's a significant, it's a significant difference. You, if, if what Jake's was preaching was done in the early church or around the early church fathers, they would have disciplined him so quick. It wouldn't have been funny. Um, excommunicated him, so that that either and and, and he's always um, loved Jake's because he's a great communicator and Jake's is I mean he a phenomenal preacher in the sense of verbal you know uh, proclamation, um, but yeah he's handled text in an, an erroneous way as well, and and Furtick's relationship is troublesome. Then the other part, and I think this happens with Furtick. I think Furtick sometimes, I think, he thinks gets so wrapped up in the preaching event. Um, and I mean, like, whether that's just prod, and most people think that's really what it's due to because they'll they'll joke that he's the king of the narcissists, that it's almost like he's become so prodful or so a man centered in his vision of the bible it's almost like he can't help himself but see himself or people in the text and so he misses the point and i'm, I'm inclined to see that as well and that's not I, don't, I, I gotta be careful in the sense that i don't you know i don't know him personally um, but that doesn't mean that you can't make discernment about you know where what where does the handling of these texts come from so let me give you an example. And and I kind of joke because I was like, I don't, I don't, there's things that Furtick says from the pulpit that I wholeheartedly, amen. And then there's things he says that I'm sitting there going like, what are you doing to the Bible? Um, Let me give you an example. So I told you the last time we were doing the adventures in missing the point that if you haven't read Haddon Robinson on the heresy of application, that's what you need to Google You're missing out because once you read this and understand what Robinson's saying, it it will change the way you discern preachers and preaching. And so I'm going to read like kind of the first page of this and then show you how uh, Furtick handled this text. And, And hopefully that'll give you some idea of what I mean by these heretical errors when when this happens with people like Olstein and, uh, Furtick. So this is Robinson, uh, in this, this little uh, article, he goes more heresy. And, and what we mean by heresy, I think sometimes people, it's a, it's a very emotionally charged word heresy. We're just saying, um, when something deviates from orthodoxy and orthodoxy is essentially like the accepted or the majority, like the vast majority, uh, position and interpretation on a um, biblical passage or a theological truth. So for instance, that's what we, try, what we try to say is Trinitarianism, like, you know, that God exists in three persons. One um, God existing in three persons is a orthodox position, right? The vast majority of Christians throughout church history have maintained the doctrine of the Trinity. A heterodox position would be something like Jake's, where he denies the Trinity and he supports oneness Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism, which is a form of an ancient heresy known as modalism, all right? So it's a, it's a um, deviation from how Christians have typically understood the Bible, okay? So more heresy is preached in application than in Bible exegesis. And the word exegesis is kind of a fancy way of just of, of saying interpreting or explaining a passage. And the same thing goes with Furtick. I've seen Furtick be 100% correct on, on exegesis, on the explanation of a passage. But the minute he makes the turn uh, to tether together applications, so what does that mean for me and you today? Ooh, It gets wonky real quick. So he says, uh, preacher, uh, Preachers want to be faithful to the scriptures and going through seminary, they have learned exegesis, but they may not have learned how to make the journey from the biblical text to the modern world. And that's application. They get out of seminary and realize the preacher's question is application. How do you take this text and determine what it means for this audience? That is, that is literally, by the way, the reason preachers exist, right? We're not just history teachers. We're here to make appropriate Application taking God's timeless truth and showing showing our congregations what does that mean? What does that look like for their lives? Now, sometimes we apply the text in ways that make the biblical writer say, "Wait a minute, that's the wrong use of what I said. This is the heresy of a good truth applied in the wrong way." And that's one of the kind of the things that I told you. One way you could discern whether uh, an application is heretical is ask yourself like if the original author of the text was sitting in the congregation could he amend that application or he would say what are you what are you doing that's not the reason I wrote that for example uh, Robinson says this I heard someone preach a sermon I shared this last time from Ruth on how to deal with in-laws All right now it's true that in the book of Ruth you have in-laws the problem is Ruth was not given to solve in-law Problems. The sermon had a lot of practical advice, but it didn't come from the scriptures. And and that's the point. You say, why was Ruth written? The book of Ruth was not written on how to deal with your in-laws, okay? Someone might ask, what's the problem? And this is what I think happens with a lot of people like Furtick. What's the problem with preaching something true and useful, even if it's not the central thrust of your text or not what the writer had in mind. Because a lot of these applications, for instance, uh, Furtick's not coming out going uh, uh, Jesus, which he's, <laughs> I gotta be careful because some people have claimed that he has, and I think he just was being really bad with words, But and he could could admit it, but you know, um, where uh, Jesus was not a man, you know, or Jesus was not God. These are not the statements that Furtick's making. Right? These are things that on the cuff, like, or off the cuff, they go, Well, this is true. The problem is going, But it has that, that truthful statement has no connection to the passage you're saying it's grounded in. Okay. And so this is what Robinson goes on to say. He says, When we preach the Bible, we preach with biblical authority. This is true. We agree with Augustine. What the Bible says, God says. Therefore, we bring to bear on, say, this in law problem the full authority of God. Right? This is why application got to be so careful. Is because you're going to, in a, in a, in a sense, borrow God's authority in his word and tell people to go believe or do something. And if you're not precise in your application, people may think the people that you that's listening to you go i need to do this with my life because pastor so so said this and he preaches the bible and it's like i don't think people realize the the influence a pastor has on what people will believe do and say right so he goes on to say this is the person this, the robbins said the person hearing the sermon thinks if I don't deal with my mother-in-law this way. I am disobedient to God. He goes, and, and Robinson says this, to me, that's a rape of the Bible. You're saying what God doesn't say. One effect of this is you undermine the scriptures. You say you are preaching. Ultimately, people come to believe that anything with a biblical flavor is what God says. And man, this is such the truth because I'll hear people all the time Where there's a false teacher, and like, well, they preach the Bible. And it's like, understand this, everybody. All false teachers will quote, preach the Bible. Okay? These texts generally just, I mean, these ideas don't come out of thin air. But when the Bible's not handled appropriately, you're going to get heterodox, heretical statements about the Bible. Uh, And that's what you have to be discerning about. So the long-term effect is that we preach to mythology. This is what Robinson says. Myth has an element of truth along with a great deal of puff, and people tend to live in the puff. It's That's just our natural inclination. They live with the implications of implications, (laughs) and then they discover that what they thought God promised, he didn't promise. There is just a lot of confusion this creates. So let me give you the example of what of what i read here from Furtick and, and go again. This is exactly what Robinson is saying. Do not do. This is heretical application. So, of course, uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I got a email from the Stephen Furtick's One Minute Motivationals this morning at 3.38 a.m. And uh, this is from his sermon, The Rattle of Resurrection. Um And here's what he says. He says, After Jesus took his last breath, Joseph, that's Joseph of Arimathea, brought down his body, wrapped it in linen, placed it inside of a tomb, and rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Jesus' body laid there for three days, and it seemed like hope was lost. Then on Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the same stone that had declared him dead was rolled away to reveal his resurrection power. The stone that signified death was the same stone used to signify that hope was alive. Now, pause right there, right? I'm about to make the turn where he tethers together the application. But thus far, his exegesis of the accounts of Easter Sunday are 100% correct, okay? <clears throat> he explained the biblical text well. And I think most of the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they'd all sit there and go, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we're saying, <laughs> right? And then comes the turn, okay? And then I'll, I'll finish with this. <clears throat> Here's what he tells the audience. Tell whatever stone, he puts that in quotation marks here, holding you back today to move what <laughs> inappropriate heretical application and this is the issue where you all he, i know he would believe that the narrative about jesus's resurrection is historical but this is when you tar- start to treat it like a myth where now the stone doesn't signify the death of jesus and the hope of Jesus's resurrection, and in believing in Christ, the hope of our resurrection, now the stone becomes an amorphous for whatever problem you have. This is what we mean by being a, 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 a narcissite of reading it from a man centered point of view. Um, the stone now becomes the woman who won't marry you. The job you don't get. Uh, the car that you can't get the deal on, whatever it is, right? The house you can't find. That is the stone holding you back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Would would lose their minds going, "What what are you doing? What are you doing? Okay. And then he goes on to say this. He says, because when God speaks, the situations that seem hopeless have to recognize that when resurrection comes, everything is reversed. That's partly true, right? When resurrection power shows up, yeah, it reverses the dead to living. But that actually means dead, like spiritually and physically dead. We're not talking about hopes and dreams that have been shattered. This isn't Disney that we're dealing with here. And I think there's a lot of times when we mythologize or allegorize a historical narrative. In this sense, it's taking a very much literal stone that was put in front of Jesus's tomb and all of a sudden it becoming the obstacle that we need to overcome. It's like a Rorschach test for our prod. Whatever we see that holds us back, Jesus now becomes the key to the life we always wanted. And th- that's not what this text is about at all. And sadly, 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 people think you have to do this to make the Bible relevant, right? That when we ask the question, so what does that mean for me today? Right, we need to make every passage turn into something about how can that fulfill me right this very second. And it's just, a it's a tad short-sighted because this passage does hold relevance. But here's the relevance, I wanna make it real clear. Every single one of us is going to die and every single one of us is on our way to hell. You need an actual living savior that can kick up in a grave call you out of it, and take you home to glory. You actually need that. So while that may not affect your 401k or finding the you know the man of your dreams, whatever it is, there's gonna come a day, and it might, that day might be today, it might be some other day, when you're either on your deathbed, you're in a car accident, and you're gonna hope, right, that what this narrative is teaching is 100% true not a mythology, not an allegory, uh, but is the very truth of God. And and that's what we're trying to say. You're missing the point, Furtick. Um, and to anyone else who would handle the text this way, I've missed the points on times like that. Others have. Mark and avoid these teachers that make a trend of it. Furtick has. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word. And ask yourself again, kind of these simple questions. What would the author amen these applications? Am I mythologizing or allegorizing texts that are meant to be taken very literally, you know, historically? And then also, the idea is this let's just say this is the way I'm making application, does it glorify God? Does it, does it show eternal themes? Or is it about puffing myself up? and about what I can get right here, right now. If you have a question, please email me at joshoutloud.com at gmail.com. Again, that's joshoutloud.com at gmail.com. And if you're ever in the Northeast Georgia, Habersham County area, come give us a visit at Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Demarest. You can find us on Facebook at MT Carmel Demarest and on our website, com. The music in this podcast was by Dylan Emmett. And until next time, make much of Jesus. Love you.